0: chapter five of book two of de anima by aristotle translated by r d hicks this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by jeffrey edwards chapter five now that these points have been determined let us proceed to a general discussion of all sensation as above remarked sensation consists in being moved and acted upon for it is held to be a species of qualitative change some add that like is in fact acted upon by like how far this is possible or impossible we have explained in the general discussion of action and passivity the question arises why there is no sensation of the senses themselves that is why they produce no sensation apart from external sensibles though the senses contain fire earth and the other elements which are the objects of sensation either in themselves or through their attributes evidently it follows that the faculty of sensible perception exists not in activity but only in potentiality hence it must be here as with the fuel which does not burn of and in itself without something to make it burn otherwise it would kindle itself and would have no need of the fire which is actually existent now to have sensation has two meanings we use the terms hearing and seeing of that which has the capacity to hear and see even though it be at the time asleep just as we do of that which already actually hears and sees and therefore sensation too will have two meanings it may mean either potential or actual sensation similarly with having sensation whether potential or actual let us then first proceed on the assumption that to be acted upon or moved is identical with active operation for movement is in fact active operation of some sort though incomplete as we have elsewhere explained but in every case things are acted upon and moved by an agent in actual operation it follows that in one sense what is acted upon is acted upon by what is like it in another sense by what is unlike it as we have explained that is to say while being acted upon it is unlike after it has been acted upon it is like the agent we must also draw distinction in regard to the terms potentiality and actuality at present we are using them without qualification for instance we may use the term wise firstly in the sense in which we might speak of man as wise because man is one of the genus of beings which are wise and have wisdom secondly in the sense in which we at once call the man wise who has learnt say grammar now of these two men each possesses the capacity but in a different sense the one because the genus to which he belongs that is to say his matter is potentially wise the other because he is capable if he chose of applying the wisdom he has acquired provided there is nothing external to hinder whereas he who is at the moment exercising his wisdom is in actuality and is wise in the proper sense of the term for example he knows the a before him thus the first two are both potentially wise the first becomes wise actually after he has undergone qualitative change through instruction and often after transition from the reverse condition while in the latter case it is by another kind of transition that the man passes from the mere possession without the use of sensation or grammar to the use of it to suffer or be acted upon too is a term of more than one meaning sometimes it means a sort of destruction by the contrary sometimes it is rather a preservation of what is potentially existent by what is actually existent and like it so far as likeness holds of potentiality when compared with actuality for it is by exercise of knowledge that the possessor of knowledge becomes such in actuality and this either in no qualitative change for the thing develops into its own nature and actuality or else is qualitative change of a different sort hence it is not right to say that that which thinks undergoes change when it thinks any more than that the builder undergoes change when he builds that then which works the change from potential existence to actuality in a thinking and intelligent being should properly receive a different name and not be called instruction while that which learns and is brought from potential to actual knowledge by that which is in actuality and capable of instructing should either not be said to suffer or be acted upon at all or else two modes of change should be assumed one to the negative states and the other to the normal habits and the true nature in the sensitive subject the first change is due to the parent once generated it possesses sensation exactly in the same sense as we possess knowledge and to have actual sensation corresponds to exercise of knowledge there is this difference however that in the one case the causes of the activity are external as for instance the objects of sight hearing and the other senses the reason is that actual sensation is always of particulars while knowledge is of universals and these universals are in a manner in the soul itself hence it is in our power to think whenever we please but sensation is not in our power for the presence of the sensible object is necessary it is much the same with the sciences which deal with sensible objects and for the same reason namely that sensibles are particulars and are external but we shall have a further opportunity of making this clear hereafter for the present let us be content to have established that of the two meanings of potentiality the one according to which a child might be called potentially a general and the other according to which a man of full age might be so called it is the latter which applies to the faculty of sense perception but as this distinction has no word to mark it although the fact and the nature of the distinction have been established we are compelled to use the terms to suffer or be acted upon and to be qualitatively changed as if they were the proper terms now as has been explained the sensitive faculty is potentially such as the sensible object is in actuality while it is being acted upon it is not yet similar but when once it has been acted upon it is assimilated and has the same character as the sensible object chapter six in considering each separate sense we must first treat of their objects by the sensible object may be meant any one of three things two of which we say are perceived in themselves or directly while the third is perceived per accidents or indirectly of the first two the one is the special object of a particular sense the other an object common to all the senses by a special object of a particular sense i mean that which cannot be perceived by any other sense and in respect to which deception is impossible for example sight is of colour hearing of sound and taste of flavour while touch no doubt has for its object several varieties but at any rate each single sense judges of its proper objects and is not deceived as to the fact that there is a colour or a sound though as to what or where the coloured object is or what or where the object is which produces the sound mistake is possible such then are the special objects of the several senses by common sensibles are meant motion rest number figure size for such qualities are not the special objects of any single sense but are common to all for example a particular motion can be perceived by touch as well as by sight what is meant by the indirect object of sense may be illustrated if we suppose that the white thing before you is diary sun you perceive diary sun but indirectly for that which you perceive is accessory to the whiteness hence you are not affected by the indirect sensible as such of the two classes of sensibles directly perceived it is the object special to the different senses which are properly perceptible and it is to these that the essential character of each sense is naturally adapted chapter seven the object then of sight is the visible what is visible is colour and something besides which can be described So it has no name what we mean will best be made clear as we proceed the visible then is colour now colour is that with which what is visible in itself is overlaid and when i say in itself i do not mean what is visible by its essence or form but what is visible because it contains within itself the cause of visibility namely colour but colour is universally capable of exciting change in the actually transparent that is in light this being in fact the true nature of colour hence colour is not visible without light but the colour of each object is always seen in light and so we shall have first to explain what light is there is then we assume something transparent and by this i mean that which though visible is not properly speaking visible in itself but by reason of extrinsic colour air water and many solid bodies answer to this description for they are not transparent qua air or qua water but because there is a certain natural attribute present in both of them which is present also in the eternal body on high light is the actuality of this transparent qua transparent but where the transparent is only potentially present there darkness is actually light is a sort of colour in the transparent when made transparent in actuality by the agency of fire or something resembling the celestial body for this body also has an attribute which is one and the same with that of fire what the transparent is and what light is has now been stated namely That it is neither fire nor body generally nor an effluence from any body for even then it would still be a sort of body but the presence of fire or something fiery in the transparent for it is impossible for two bodies to occupy the same space at the same time light is held to be contrary to darkness but darkness is absence from the transparent of the quality above described so that plainly light is the presence of it thus empedocles and others who propounded the same view are wrong when they represent light as moving in space and arriving at a given point of time between the earth and that which surrounds it without our perceiving its motion for this contradicts not only the clear evidence of reason but also the facts of observation since though a movement of light might elude observation within a short distance that it should do so all the way from east to west is too much to assume it is that which is colourless which is receptive of colour as it is that which is soundless which is receptive of sound and the transparent is colourless and so is the invisible or the dimly visible which is our idea of the dark such is the transparent medium not indeed when it is in actuality, but when potentially transparent. For it is the same natural attribute which is at one time darkness, and at another time light. It is not everything visible which is visible in light, but only the proper colour of each thing. Some things indeed are not seen in daylight, though they produce sensation in the dark, as for example the things of fiery and glittering appearance, for which there is no one distinguishing name like fungus horn the heads scales and eyes of fishes but in no one of these cases is the proper color seen why these objects are seen must be discussed elsewhere at present this much is clear that the object seen in light is color and this is why it is not seen without light for the very quiddity of color is as we saw just this that it is capable of exciting change in the operantly transparent medium and the activity of the transparent is light there is clear evidence of this if you lay the coloured object upon your eye you will not see it on the contrary what the colour excites is the transparent medium say the air and by this which is continuous the sense-organ is stimulated for it was a mistake in democritus to suppose that if the intervening space became a void even an ant would be distinctly seen supposing there were one in the sky that is impossible for sight takes place through an affection of the sensitive faculty now it cannot be affected by that which is seen the colour itself therefore it can only be by the intervening medium hence the existence of some medium is necessary but if the intermediate space became a void so far from being seen distinctly an object would not be visible at all we have explained the reason why color must be seen in light fire is visible both in light and in darkness and necessarily so for it is owing to fire that the transparent becomes transparent the same argument holds for sound and odor for no sound or scent produces sensation by contact with the sense-organ it is the intervening medium which is excited by sound and odour and the respective sense-organs by the medium but when the body which emits the sound or odour is placed on the sense-organ itself it will not produce any sensation the same holds of touch and taste although it appears to be otherwise the reason for this will be seen hereafter the medium for sounds is air that for odor has no name for there is assuredly a common quality in air and water and this quality which is present in both stands to the body which emits odor in the same relation as the transparent to color for the animals that live in water also appear to have the sense of smell but man and the other land animals which breathe are unable to smell without inhaling breath the reason for this too must be reserved for future explanation chapter eight let us now begin by determining the nature of sound and hearing there are two sorts of sound one a sound which is operant the other potential sound for some things we say have no sound as sponge wool others for example bronze and all things solid and smooth we say have sound because they can emit sound that is they can produce actual sound between the sonorous body and the organ of hearing when actual sound occurs it is always of something on something and in something for it is a blow which produces it hence it is impossible that a sound should be produced by a single thing for as that which strikes is distinct from that which is struck that which sounds sounds upon something and a blow implies spatial motion as we stated above it is not concussion of any two things taken at random which constitutes sound wool when struck emits no sound at all but bronze does and so do all smooth and hollow things bronze emits sound because it is smooth while hollow things by reverberation produce a series of concussions after the first that which is set in motion being unable to escape further sound is heard in air and though more faintly in water it is not the air or the water however which chiefly determined the production of sound on the contrary there must be solid bodies colliding with one another and with the air and this happens when the air after being struck resists the impact and is not dispersed hence the air must be struck quickly and forcibly if it is to give forth sound for the movement of the striker must be too rapid to allow the air time to disperse just as would be necessary if one aimed a blow at a heap of sand or a sand whirl while it was in rapid motion onwards echo is produced when the air is made to rebound backwards like a ball from some other air which has become a single mass owing to its being within a cavity which confines it and prevents its dispersion it seems likely that echo is always produced but is not always distinctly audible since surely the same thing happens with sound as with light for light is always being reflected else light would not be everywhere but outside the spot where the sun's rays fall there would be darkness but it is not always reflected in the same way as it is from water or bronze or any other smooth surface i mean it does not always produce the shadow by which we define light void is rightly stated to be the indispensable condition of hearing for the air is commonly believed to be a void and it is the air which causes hearing when being one and continuous it is set in motion but owing to its tendency to disperse it gives out no sound unless that which is struck is smooth in that case the air when struck is simultaneously reunited because of the unity of the surface for a smooth body presents a single surface that then is resonant which is capable of exciting motion in a mass of air continuously one as far as the ear there is air naturally attached to the ear and because the ear is in air when the external air is set in motion the air within the ear moves hence it is not at every point that the animal hears nor that the air passes through for it is not at every point that the part which is to set itself in motion and to be animate has a supply of air of itself then the air is a soundless thing because it is easily broken up but whenever it is prevented from breaking up its movement is sound but the air within the ears has been lodged fast within walls to make it immovable in order that it may perceive exactly all the varieties of auditory movement this is why we hear in water also because the water does not pass right up to the air attached to the ear nor even into the ear at all because of its convolutions should this happen hearing is destroyed as it is by an injury to the membrane of the tympanum and as sight is by an injury to the cornea further we have evidence whether we hear or not according as there is or is not always a ringing sound in the ears as in a horn for the air imprisoned there is always moving with a proper motion of its own but sound is something of external origin and is not native to the ear and this is why it is said that we hear by means of what is empty and resonant because that by which we hear has air confined within it does that which is struck emit the sound or that which strikes is it not rather both but each in a different way for sound is motion of that which is capable of being moved in the same manner as things rebound from smooth surfaces when struck sharply against them thus as above remarked it is not everything which when struck or striking emits sound supposing for instance a pin were to strike against a pin there would be no sound the thing struck must be of even surface so that the air may rebound and vibrate in one mass the varieties of resonant bodies are clearly distinguished by the sound they actually emit for as without light colors are not seen so without sound we cannot distinguish high and low or acute and grave in pitch these latter terms are used by analogy from tangible objects for the acute that is the high note moves the sense much in a little time while the grave or low note moves it little in much time not that what is shrill is identically rapid nor what is low is slow but it is in the one case the rapidity in the other the slowness which makes the motion or sensations such as has been described and it would seem that there is a certain analogy between the acute and grave to the ear and the acute and blunt to the touch for that which is acute or pointed as it were stabs while the blunt as it were thrusts because the one excites motion in a short the other in a long time so that per accidents the one is quick the other slow let this account of sound suffice voice is a sound made by an animate being no inanimate thing is vocal though it may by analogy be said to be vocal as in the case of the pipe the lyre and all other inanimate things that have pitch and tune and articulation for these qualities it would seem the voice also possesses but many animals have no voice that is to say all bloodless animals and among animals that have blood fishes and this is what we might expect since sound is a movement of air those fishes which are said to possess voice such as those in the achalus merely make a noise with their gills or some other such part voice is sound made by an animal and not by any part of its body indifferently but as in every case of sound there is something that strikes something struck and a medium which is air it is reasonable that only creatures which inhale air should have voice for here nature uses the air that is inhaled for two purposes just as it uses the tongue for tasting and for speech the former use for tasting being indispensable, and therefore more widely found, while expression of thought is a means to well-being. Similarly, nature uses the breath first as a necessary means to the maintenance of internal warmth, the reason for which shall be explained elsewhere, and further as a means of producing voice, and so promoting well-being. The organ of respiration is the larynx, and the part to which this part is subservient is the lung for it is this organ namely the lung which enables land animals to maintain a higher temperature than others respiration is also needed primarily for the region about the heart hence as we draw breath the air enters and so the impact upon the windpipe as it is called of the air breathed is voice the cause of the impact being the soul which animates the vocal organs for as we said before it is not every sound made by an animal that is voice noise can be produced even with the tongue or as in coughing but it is necessary for voice that the part which strikes should be animate and that some mental image should be present for voice is certainly a sound which has significance and is not like a cough the noise of air respired rather with this air the animal makes the air in the windpipe strike against the windpipe a proof of this is the fact that we cannot speak while inhaling or exhaling breath but only while we hold it in for any one who holds his breath uses the breath so held to cause motion and it is evident why fishes are voiceless it is because they have no larynx and they are without this part because they do not take in the air nor breathe why this is so does not concern us here end of chapter 8 of book 2 Recording in memory of Mitchell Edwards.